Hi, this is Dr. Christopher Perrin with The Christopher Perrin Show on the truenorth.fm podcast network. Thank you for viewing or listening. Today, I'd like to talk about words in this episode, words and education. If we're going to recover and renew liberal arts and classical education, we need to know what words to use. And we have lost the meanings of many important words that are, have been traditionally a part of the vocabulary of education. Let's just take the word education itself. Do we really even know what education is, what it means? If I were to ask you to just take a moment right now and give a brief definition or even a description of education, what it is, what it's for, maybe even talk a little bit a little bit about what it used to be and what it could be again. Well, how do you feel about that? Doesn't it make you go a little bit wobbly in the knees? You see, the word education in our, our common parlance has acquired such a wide semantic range that we don't really know with specificity what we mean often when we use the word education, which is why we have to use so many modifiers or adjectives before the word. So we have vocational education. We might have musical education or technical education. And when we're talking about renewing the tradition of classical education, we, we have to call it classical education. As you probably know, prior to about 1890, what did we call classical education? Well, we just called it education. It used to mean that educatio or education had a much clearer meaning than it does today. Now, it doesn't mean we can't use the word. Words do evolve and change. That's just a part of linguistic history and reality. But nonetheless, we should try to recover clarity when we're using words, shouldn't we? Words shouldn't just refer to words. They should refer to realities. So what is the reality that we are seeking to describe or define when we speak of education? The word definition, by the way, also needs to be defined. <laughs> uh, it comes from the Latin de and finis. De meaning of or about, and finis meaning boundary or line. Think of finish line. So when we set the boundaries for something, what's in that container and what's outside of it, we're defining it. So what is education? What is inside education? What is it and what is it not? Well, <clears throat> what I'd like to do is just have some fun with some words today and talk a little bit about their histories or their etymologies. So we'll start with the word etymology. You've heard this word before. It's it describes the the origin and history of a word. But even the word etymology, I know this is kind of self-referential and maybe a little nerdy or something, but it's fun. Even the word etymology has an etymology. It's from etumos in Greek, which means the true or the real. Uh, just think about that. What we want, we do want words to describe reality. Well, that's the first part of etymology. The, the second part is that logi, which is, comes from logos, which means, well, reason, study, communication, idea. So it's the study, it's the idea of things that are real or true. So when we're looking at the etymology of a word, we're trying to, we're trying to look at its true origin, its truth, its, um, the, the true sense of a word according to its origin. 
That's an etymology. And if you really like etymology, like I kind of do, then you, you might aspire to be an etymologist and to engage in, well, etymologizing. The verb is etymologize. But you can also engage in pseudo-etymologizing. There, there is such a thing as a pseudo-etymology. This is a false history of a word. And that's kind of fun. Etymologies sometimes are illuminating, but not always. For example, sometimes they're just wrong and they would be a pseudo-etymology. Like maybe you've heard someone say, oh, history, that comes from his story. And if you're in the Christian tradition, oh, I see that. It's the story of God's providential dealing in the affairs of men. It's his story. You put it together and you have history. Well, no, that's absolutely wrong, <laughs> even though it's clever. It's wrong. It's from the Greek word historia, which means inquiry or investigation. All right. Um, sometimes etymologies can just be humorous, like um, the word nice, when we say, well, she's a nice woman. Um, well, it comes from, it doesn't come from a word that means nice. It comes from the, the Latin verb nescire, nescio nescire, which means I do not know. <laughs> so, it, it's nice in the sense of being ignorant. Uh, she's such a nice girl, but she, she doesn't know. She doesn't understand. She's, she's not aware. She's nice. Okay, that's not always what we mean when we use the word nice, but it's just interesting that nice comes from the verb, which means not to know. Okay, so back to education. What is the etymology of education? It's from educatio, one of the great Roman words for, for, for education. And it's related to the verb educare, which means to lead out. Ducare means to lead. We get words like, well, duke, the noun, but I guess a duke should be a good leader. Or think of words like ducts, like the ductwork in a, in a building in which the air can pass through or be led through. We have words like deduct and induct. Okay. So, educare or ex-ducare means to lead out. So, education is kind of this leading forth of a child into adulthood. It's kind of the unfolding uh, of a child into full maturity. And it was the translation, the Latin translation, for the Greek word paideia. So, paideia is Greek. It, too, of course, has an etymology. What is its origin? Well, it's related to the Greek word paidos, which meant child. So paideia is what you do with a child to raise that child up to full maturity in the Greek mindset so that that child, if it were a male, could vote in the Greek assembly and serve in the military. It was moving from child to manhood, full maturity, cultivation, development. Sounds a lot like educatio. This is why the Romans use educatio to translate paideia. And to the Greek mind, to hear the word paideia, you would be hearing the word child. It would sound something like childing, what you do with a child. Just like when the Germans use the word bildung, one of their words for education, you hear the word build in there, building, to cultivate, to construct, to grow something. This is this is at the root of the of paideia. It's at the root of the word education. It was formation, formation of a human being to acquire full virtue and excellence, to acquire wisdom and eloquence.
Now we're already moving into some other areas, but at the, at the root of these words is something deep and profound. Humans growing up to become the full versions of themselves, the best fully capacitated versions of themselves. And therefore, one of the other Latin words for paideia was simply this, humanitas. That was a word that meant education to the Romans. It's what would happen to you when you became fully cultivated as a human being. What would you acquire? Well, humanitas, full humanity. It still lives in our word, the humanities. You may have studied the humanities at college. It used to be that the entire curriculum of a liberal arts classical curriculum would be humanitas. It would be Everything would be considered a humanities art or subject. So we have paideia, and then we have educatio, and then we have humanitas. And can you see what's starting to emerge here? An idea of education that is not job training. It's not vocational training. Would it be pertinent and helpful to any kind of vocation or job or task? Yes, it certainly would, but its primary focus was the cultivation of the human. And of course, that was by means of the liberal arts and the great treasury of wisdom in the great books, and also cultivation in the fine arts and the natural sciences. That would be the classical curriculum. So now let's just take a look at the word fine and arts for a moment as we kind of move from the general to the specific a bit. Educatio, paideia, humanitas. Now let's talk about arts and let's talk about fine arts. The fine arts, well, let's just say visual arts, painting and sculpture. We could include music, dramatic arts, etc. But let's just take uh, like visual arts, uh, sculpture, painting. Um, why were they called fine? Well, the, the etymology, I think, is helpful here. From finis again, which means end, line, or boundary. The fine arts are ends in themselves. You don't, you don't, they're not for any other purpose than themselves. For example, when you put a vase of beautiful flowers on your dining room table, what's its purpose? Well, its purpose is themselves, that you might enjoy those, the beauty of those flowers. And the same thing is true of art, generally speaking. They don't have a purpose beyond themselves. You've come to the end. You've come to the telos. Isn't that interesting? So you would study the fine arts not because of some utility or instrumentality. Like, why do you listen to beautiful music or good music? Is it because of some other, because you want something else? Or is, is not the listening of the music and enjoying it the end which you seek? So now we're thinking about ends of education and purposes of education. And that was related to, related to the word finis, but it was also related to the word arts because the, studying, the study of the arts were themselves their own end. Now, did they have utility and value for lots of other things? Yes, they did, but that was not why you primarily studied, say, Latin grammar or poetry or epic poetry or philosophy. It wasn't because you were seeking immediately for an economic transaction that I want the cash value for having read Plato's dialogues. 
No, I wanted to become something. I wanted to be formed into a certain kind of person. So the liberal arts now come into view. The liberal arts were, of course, seven. They were the um, arte septem, septem liberales, and they were there were the three grammatical arts of grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and there were the the, the quadrivium arts, the mathematical arts of arithmetic, geometry, astronomy, and music, and these arts were such that they they why were they called arts and not subjects? Well, because they make us into something. Because uh, an art is something made. Think of the word artifact. So we. We, we are made by these arts and these arts to be, make us into artists such that we become liberal artists. What do you make, for example, with words? Well, you can make art out of words. You can make poetry out of words. You can make novels out of words, speeches out of words, lab reports out of words, anything that you would use grammar for, the construction of clear, clear succinct, systematic, meaningful speech will involve the use of words, the artistic construction of words. And so grammar is an art that enables us to become a maker or an artist. That's why they're called arts. But this is lost on us. I mean, some of you who study the liberal arts probably have trouble naming them. Some of you wouldn't know. If, if I'd asked you early on, what, why are they called arts? And of course, why are they called liberal? That question emerges discussed this in a previous episode, but let's talk about it briefly now. Liberal. Why are these arts, like grammar, logic, and rhetoric, called liberal arts? Well, because they're liberating. Because they were for a person who had libertas, who had the freedom to even study these arts. Because if you had to engage all the time in manual labor, and this happened often in the ancient medieval worlds, you might not have the freedom to study these arts that would cultivate your humanity in some remarkable ways. It was sometimes a privilege and a luxury. It still is to be able to study these arts. So they were for free people that they might uh, be able to uh, sustain their freedom and that they might have the liberty to do things that they otherwise could not do. And some of those activities would just be for contemplative bliss, like the study of poetry, can, can bring great joy and pleasure to the human, even if you can't see any uh, direct cash value for having studied so much of, say, Virgil's Aeneid or Homer's Odyssey or memorized various poems by Dickens or Whitman. What good is that? Well, it might not be a clear economic good, but it's good for you as a human. And as you grow in your humanity, it's going to be deployed to bless others and to bless your work, whatever it, you're called to do. So now, let's just on a side, job training is not a bad thing. Job training is a very good thing. It's just not the primary thing when we speak of education. It's secondary. The liberal arts are the primary focus of an education to liberate us, to do the things that we otherwise cannot do had we not mastered these arts, to be able to think with word and number. The liberal arts were considered to be the preliminary general study that you would do before you would go into any other profession, whether it would be a professor or a plumber. It was so helpful to, to us as, as human beings. Okay, so we've looked at educatio. We've looked at 
paideia. We've we've looked at humanitas. We've looked at the the liberal arts. Just to go a little bit further with paideia, and then to conclude, paideia. That word still exists in various ways in English. You might not have discerned it, but it's out there. It's in our word encyclopedia, for example. That pedia is from paideia. And those of you who are about my age, well, when you think of encyclopedia, you might think of a, a shelf of books. Um, that's no longer very typical. Now your encyclopedia is online and you can... Uh, in, you know, you can access information very, very easy that way. But encyclopedia, we think of, nonetheless, uh, some kind of treasury of uh, a resource where we can do research quickly um, by looking up various topics that might be, say, ordered alphabetically. Okay. So far, so good. But the Greek word meant a cycle of studies that would enable a, a child to become fully educated. It, you know, you see the word cycle and encyclo. It's a, a curriculum, a course of studies for that pais paidos that would fully cultivate and develop that child. It was educatio. It was education. And what was that cycle of studies? Well, it was the, you know, it's, it's evolved over the centuries, but a, a, a liberal arts curriculum studying word and numbers, say, and certainly the great, the, the great text in any century, in any time. So there it is. An encyclopedia is a cycle of studies to educate a human. And it's also in our word. Well, it's in pediatrician, by the way, um, a physician who treats children. But it's also in the word pedagogy. So if you're an educator or a teacher, what is pedagogy? You probably think of it as educational techniques or methods. And that's an appropriate use for the term. But let's look at its etymology. It means, pais pedos is in, the, is in the, the, the front of that word, something that we do with a child, and that agi part is from a Greek word which means to lead or drive, ago. So it means to lead a child. So a, what does a pedagogue do? A pedagogue leads a child, takes a child somewhere. I like to think of it metaphorically as, taking the child to see something that child hasn't yet seen, to lead them on a path. I like to think of that passage in Luke 6, where in the Gospels, Christ says, when a student has been fully trained, he will be like his teacher. But then it's coupled with that verse that also says, if a blind man leads a blind man, won't they both fall into a pit? And so apparently Christ is saying that a teacher is the opposite of a blind guide. A teacher is a very well-sighted guide who can take children, to take a student on a tour, as it were, to show that student what he or she has already seen. And isn't that important to education? You don't want to just report what you've learned and seen. You want your students to see for themselves many times. So I think that's there in Christ's words in Luke 6 in that famous saying. But a pedagogue, therefore, is leading a child, taking a child somewhere. Now, as part of the history of the word, it's only fair that we know that pedagogues in the Roman era were often Greek slaves. You remember that Rome eventually conquered Greece. And then 
because the Romans also fell in love with Greek culture and education and literature and art, they wanted the best teachers for their students and the best teachers, and the, at least the wealthy Romans who could afford to hire a tutor, would, would, would not just hire a tutor, but buy a Greek slave, a well-educated Greek who would become the teacher of, say, some Roman aristocrats' children. And that Greek teacher, that Greek educator or tutor, was often called a pedagogue because that teacher would take the students to class, oversee his or her education, and do some teaching himself or herself. So, okay, we don't want to do that. We don't want slaves teaching our children. But we want a pedagogue in the sense of having someone some educator, some teacher who will actually provide leadership to the child and will know how to teach. So pedagogy means also leading in the sense of what kinds of teaching methods might I employ at various times? When do I coach? When do I lecture? When do I have a seminar discussion? And so on. These are pedagogies. So I'm, my next episode, we're going to look at a, a number of other words that particularly bear on what it means for a student to be a student. But so far, we've just looked at some of these high-level words in education, like the liberal arts, like education itself, like paideia, like pedagogy. And we've seen that looking at the history of words can be illuminating, and it also just takes us into the history of the tradition itself where we begin to read what others who have preceded us have done that has been so effective. So even uh, etymology can take you right into this great tradition of classical education and become its own really fascinating and I think edifying study. Well, thank you for watching. This is the Christopher Perrin Show on the truenorth.fm podcast network. Thanks so much.